1: everyone and welcome to british murders the podcast that focuses exclusively on british murder cases with an occasional glimpse at horror movies this week we are back with my collab with my favorite pennsylvanian is that a word pennsylvanian
0: yeah it is yeah? but I, i'm a technically a utah now but no, yeah
1: you, yeah you're a pennsylvanian living in mormon country
0: <laughs> pennsylvanian at heart <laughs>
1: We're back for Killer British Murder Stories, Volume 4. This is where I welcome my friend Bobby Holmes, the host of Killer Stories, to tell me and you, the listener, a not a British murder story, even though we call it Killer British Murder Stories. It's normally a North American story. Yes, welcome back North to Americans. the show, <laughs> Bobby Holmes. How was your Christmas and Happy New Year to you?
0: Oh, thank you so much. Uh, Christmas was awesome. We had a very low key Christmas. We did all our traveling, crazy family stuff. Thanksgiving, so it was just me, my husband, my son at home, and it was it was nice. Hope yours was just as well.
1: It was just as well. That's <laughs> absolutely what it was.
0: <laughs> okay, great. Just chill.
1: Yeah, just home. chill. We won't go into into too much detail because you'll. If you're a fan of either of our shows and this series, you'll know that we record an episode on each person's podcast. So last week, this airing now will be the 13th of January. Now, last Wednesday, the 5th, was it? I think
0: so. I think
1: so. Last week was my episode on Bobby's show. Now, a lot of my listeners have requested the case of Penelope Jackson, which was very recent. The old grand lady, grand lady. The grandma lady who killed her husband, David Jackson. This is the one where the body cam footage was all on the TV, on the news. And she said, oh, I wish I'd stabbed him again and all this. I covered that case on Bobby's show. Please check that out. That is Killer British Murder Stories, Volume 4, Part 1. That's a mouthful. And we recorded them on the same evening and we you know, we, we had some drinks. But I went first. So hopefully now Bobby's a little bit more inebriated and it'll make for a more entertaining Hopefully show. Hopefully
0: I'm not slurring my words. This <laughs> is what he's trying to say.
1: I mean, like...
0: Because I've got a lot uh, to say.
1: Yeah. So,
0: Imagine that. <laughs> Bobby's got a lot to say.
1: To put it in context, my word count for the script is about two and a half thousand words, and we'd just come off a 45-minute recording. Bobby's is about four and a half thousand. So buckle up, guys. Get yourself a whiskey. And
0: <laughs> There's a lot to talk about in this case. And... So I know I normally cover an American case on your show, but this one is actually Canadian, which is why he said North American. It is in the context. Um, And what I have planned next week is actually Canadian too on my show. So I guess I'm kicking off 2022 with Canadian crime.
1: Have you ever done a British story on your show?
0: I have. I've done a few. Um, The guy, pretty famous, people under the floorboards. I can't even remember his name. I can picture him, glasses.
1: Oh, Dennis (laughs) Dilson. Yes, yeah, Dennis, yeah. Yeah, Dennis. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. That um,
0: one. I've done quite a few actually. And the the young girl Mary something. She was like eleven and killed another little boy. But I have, I, ha- I have, have listened,
1: I have listened to them all. By the way, I just he has no is, clue what I'm talking about. My memory about. is terrible. My memory is terrible. <laughs> Everyone knows that.
0: But this particular case, the reason that it stuck out to me. Me, Stu, and our other podcaster friend, Lorraine, Um, we've been watching Dexter, New Blood. And after we finish an episode, which I've been slacking, we usually get together in our little group chat and discuss it together. And Mark Twitchell, the killer or villain, as you like to say, he was inspired by Dexter. The, the fictional character dexter morgan so he's actually been called like the dexter copycat killer and we'll get into that later but mm-hmm. that is kind of what made me think of this case i've i've known it and it just came to late and i was like yeah let's cover that especially because you hadn't heard of it before so
1: yeah how good is this season of dexter by the way
0: <sighs> pretty good i literally i think <laughs> i just blocked No, I blocked out season eight or whatever the last one was. I don't even remember what happened. I think I literally just like cut it out of my brain. I don't even remember how it ended. Yeah, it it ended bad. I know that he is still alive and that's all I knew. And here we are, new blood. And I think it's pretty good. What do you think? (laughs)
1: That's so underwhelming. How good is it? It's all right.
0: (laughs) I didn't say it's all right. You're hearing things. Yeah. Go on, tell
1: pretty, us too. Pretty good, pretty good.
0: Tell How you do you what, think it is? It's,
1: think it's amazing. We don't use that word here. I think it's fantastic. I think it's great. It's
0: it's really good.
1: I think I great. like it. It's really good, really really good. I think it's answered a lot of the critics, and it's made up for the wrongs of the mm-hmm. last few seasons. I yeah. think it's I think it's a season for the fans.
0: Yeah, I saw um, Michael C. Hall on the View. And he was saying this basically. He owed it to the fans mm. to bring it back. Basically, it's like we waited eight years, so you know the yeah. kid could grow up. So <laughs>
1: yeah. he said, "I don't know what the view is, but I'm assuming it's a talk Oh my know? god,
0: yeah, it is. It's a talk
1: show. So it's not, I don't it's, watch
0: it either. I really don't watch it. I just saw the clip and was like, "Okay, Michael C. Hall I'm watching this." So it's not, not this.
1: It's not the same kid that was his kid in the last one, though. I'm assuming.
0: No, no, I don't think so.
1: A bit, bit weird, wasn't it?
0: No, I don't think so. No.
1: It just happened to grow up to be an actor.
0: <laughs> yeah, the same kid. By the way, you are going to be Harrison in eight years. Study up.
1: <laughs> what? <laughs> what do you mean?
0: Tell her the little baby <laughs> you're going to grow up to be this actor. So never mind. Oh. Just just cut this out. I Forget it. Were, I thought you were
1: saying that in a year's <laughs> time, like I was going to be like. No. Okay.
0: Ah, all right. Okay. Cut. <laughs> Cut to tout. No. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. So Mark Twitchell, there's a difference between being a fan of the show and wanting to be like Dexter. So let's start with a little background on Mark Twitchell. He was born July 4th. 1979 in edmonton which is the capital of alberta canada and i was going to make some patriotic comment but being this is canada i doubt he cares that his birthday is on american independence day
1: (laughs) Canadian. did you huh he's canadian he's canadian why would he that's
0: what i uh, that's what i'm saying i was okay everything's about america
1: in it everything's about america to you guys
0: (sighs) okay (laughs) So maybe this will draw in your interest. As a child, he was fascinated with cinema, which I know you have a thing for as well.
1: Right. So um, it.
0: Right. So as a, from an early age, he knew that he wanted to be behind the scenes directing movies. And he attended the radio and television arts program at the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology, graduating in the year 2000. So did you just take film classes on film or was that your minor or major at university?
1: We don't have minors or majors, but we... Oh, um, you don't? No. Uh, I studied it in college. It was one of my three college courses. Our college is like your... Last year's a high school, I think. Your college is our university.
0: Okay, so <laughs> at university, do you not have like a degree? Like you, you major in something and then that's kind of what your degree is in when you...
1: I no. So you're, no. you're adding unnecessary words there. We just have a degree in something. Okay. We don't major in something and have a degree. Well, I guess we that's just, just kind of you, you
0: choose what you study kind of
1: Yeah, thing. You, cho- you choose your course, your mm-hmm. field of study, I suppose you mm-hmm. would say. You choose your field of study. So
0: that's what a major is.
1: So what's your minor then?
0: Well, it'd be like I'm majoring in film and minoring in psychology, so you can understand the way people think i don't know it's just you can kind of choose what you're studying so i think you just maybe don't put a name to it but it's probably similar you just like to point out that we're weird but whatever
1: you do that yourself mate (laughs) you do that yourself yeah it likes it it likes film basically this guy and he's studying it And he's
0: studying it. And a year after graduating with his radio and television arts degree, he married an American woman named Megan, and they moved to her hometown in Illinois. And this marriage was short-lived and the couple divorced in 2004. So that's like a three-year marriage, which is the average relationship span. Did you know that?
1: Speaking from experience, yes.
0: It's kind of sad, really. (laughs) But... (laughs) Mark would treat TV and movies like reality, and he put himself in the place of the characters, which seemed very strange to Megan. Not only that, but he created fake profiles online to mess with people like he got a kick out of it. And Megan later told police that one day out of the blue, Mark asked her if she ever thought about killing someone. And he went on to explain how he would choose a homeless person because no one would notice them missing. And Megan's slightly alarmed by this comment, but she just, you know, wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, I guess, and didn't take him seriously. Their marriage ultimately ended because Mark was unfaithful on multiple occasions and he would confess to Megan, yet he showed no remorse for his actions. So kind of, you know, psychopath tendencies to not have remorse for things. I would think if you're married to someone and you cheat and you confess, that you would show some sort of remorse.
1: Yeah, where's unless fa- you were asking for
0: a divorce.
1: Whereas Facebook profiles that of characters, then. Yes. Okay.
0: Well, not necessarily face. Did I say Facebook uh, dating online. sites? Online, I believe. Yeah, online. Yeah, okay, yeah. so we're we're getting into it. He uh, does the whole dating site thing, so. After the divorce with Megan, Mark moved back to Canada. So that was when he was in, I think they lived, they got married in Canada, lived in Canada for a little bit, went to Illinois. Now he's back in Canada after the divorce. His big claim to fame was directing Star Wars Secrets of the Rebellion in 2007. Are you a Star Wars fan? Nope. Okay, (laughs) then you wouldn't have heard of it anyways, but the reason you really didn't hear of it is because it's a fan film, so it's not a real Star Wars film, and it's a prequel. Don't you slug off fan
1: films now? Don't you slug off fan films?
0: Well, listen, there's a reason why you haven't heard of it. It's a prequel to the original Star Wars movie, and... It's amateur usually, but can be produced professionally. But this one, it had some legitimacy to Star Wars. It did have an appearance by Jeremy Bullock, who played the character Boba Fett um, in the original one. Again, you you have no idea. I don't know either, to be completely honest. I do know there's a new Boba Fett on um, Disney, I think, probably. But not the same character.
1: The thing is, like I've, I think I would like to get into it. And one of my friends who loves it says, watch it, watch it, watch it. My other friend, who's probably my other friend is British, so he's more honest than my American friend. And he said, <laughs> he says, if you haven't watched it yet, don't watch it. Because you'll you'll hate it. You'll just pick it apart. It's I one mean, of those things was... that's nostalgic that you grow up with.
0: Right. Yes. And if I watch it
1: now, I'll just pick it apart.
0: And I think that's kind of what I'm like. Because I have started watching it and I like lose interest real fast. I think also because it's so old but it was never released and that's why you would have never heard of it it's still stuck in the post-production process so it's uh, not never on youtube, YouTube. <laughs> no wow. no not there yet so mark met his next wife jess on the dating site plenty of fish and they married had a daughter together in 2008 but he just couldn't stay off the dating sites. He was caught red handed by Jess using a site specifically for married people to arrange affairs, which I believe is something Madison. I can't even remember the name. Do you know?
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> <Come> on, <Stu. laughs> <no>. What's it <laughs> called? again? Us.
0: No, it is oh, Ash- Ashley Madison. I don't know. Something like that. There's a website where literally married people can log on and they arrange affairs. Hmm. Yeah. He was a habitual liar and just didn't know, but he had been laid off from his job and he was spending all of his time working on his next production. So every day he left for work, but really he drove to a rented garage suite that was filled with wardrobe options, backdrops, movie props. And he either spent the day there or at a coffee shop working on his script. So literally, I don't know how you could do that to your wife, like no money income, (laughs) just lying about going to work every day, doing something else completely. But again, no remorse for this guy whatsoever. He started another profile on a dating site, Uh, happened to be again, plenty of fish, but he didn't join as Mark. He had ulterior (laughs) Ulterior (laughs) ulterior motives for this profile. He was catfishing And if you live under a rock, catfishing is where a person creates a fictional persona or fake identity on social networking service, and most are out to scam people for financial gain. Or others just like to cause pain, discomfort, embarrassment to the other person on the other side of the conversation. Or some just get off on pretending to be someone else. You know, they can be Joe Schmo, and at the end of the day, they log on and they can be Joe Millionaire or whoever their heart desires. But very sad. It is. In October of 2008, Mark logged in to Plenty of Fish as Sheena, <laughs> but you didn't see that coming. <laughs> he was pretending Sheena. to be, yeah, a 20-something attractive petite blonde looking for love. And he began chatting with a man named Gilles, French, I believe, Gilles Tetralt, <laughs> probably saying that wrong, but I Gilles was... Jill.
1: G-I-L. It's G
0: I no G I L L E S. I actually did I know Gilles is correct but Gilles te, Gu- Gilles I'm not going to get that French in every uh pronunciation of Gilles. <laughs> but he was recently separated it's from that- his wife.
1: the pronunciation of Gilles.
0: Gilles. This I feel like is Italian, no?
1: <laughs> A little bit next week other. <laughs> Maybe. basically. Maybe. Kinda.
0: Uh, Jill was recently separated from his wife and had just moved to Edmonton a few months earlier. So he was using plenty of fish to try and meet new people, make friends, maybe even find love. And can I just say, I'm so glad that I never had to do the online dating thing. I mean, I know lots of people have found people this way, but I would not feel comfortable meeting up with a stranger I've never met before. Have you ever done that blind date even?
1: Blind date. no.
0: See, I've never done the online dating, but I did do a blind date once. But I had my roommates follow me and they sat in the booth like catty corner. I think and, you like said, yeah, you said, eye- yeah, this- <laughs> oh,
1: Yeah, kept
0: an eye on me, made sure I was not like, gonna get murdered or whatever. But yeah, I don't oh gosh, the dating thing, online dating kind of freaks me out. But Mark Twitchell shows us that it's not just women who are victim to the creeps online, but he's pretending to be a woman in luring in men. Back to poor Jill. He thought he was meeting up with Sheena for dinner and a movie, but the weird thing was Sheena, or Mark, didn't want to give out a physical address of the garage suite. She wanted to make sure, quote, he wasn't a weirdo first. (laughs) Weirdo, saying the man pretending to be a woman online, but... (laughs) Instead, he gives Gilles lengthy directions on how to get to the garage suite. So I do have the actual message that was sent. So, okay, Friday. If you're coming from the north on Grout, get on Calgary Trail. When you get to the south side, jump on White Mud. Then go south on 50th Street. Take a right on 40 Ave. And after a block or two, the very first right onto the alley. It's marked by a yellow crosswalk sign. So pay attention. <laughs> Then go left and pull onto the only driveway on your left that isn't paved, LOL. Seriously, whoever heard of a driveway that looks like the Amazon? Whatever. It won't swallow your car. I promise. There's some garbage up against the fence like an old couch and such, but it'll probably be gone by Friday. Who knows? Like I said, the garage door will be open for you to touch. Don't worry about neighbors thinking you're a burglar. Everyone knows there's nothing valuable in there except for my car, of course. Oi. See you then, Sheena. So weird, right?
1: No woman would ever send that text.
0: Super weird. No. because Too we...
1: detailed and specific. <laughs> Far too detailed I mean, and specific.
0: If you're leading them there, what's what's the difference of giving the actual street address? I just don't get it.
1: Send her the zip code however. or postcode, <laughs> I mean, we would no. call it.
0: But it was already dark at 7 p.m. on the evening of Friday, October 3rd, 2008, and Jill saw the garage that Sheena described and parked his car. And just like she had said, the door was partially opened and he bent down to crawl inside, but as he did so, he was hit from behind and then felt his body convulse. So whoever hit him in the head had then used a stun gun on him. And he fell to the ground and he noticed the person attacking him was wearing a hockey mask. The man pulled out a strip of duct tape and covered his eyes. Jill fought back the best he could, but his muscles weren't really like working properly because of the stun gun. He was freaking out because he hadn't told anyone where he was going. So if he disappeared, no one would know where to look for him. And because of that, probably a burst of adrenaline must have kicked in. He ripped the duct tape off his eyes and pulled himself up. The attacker, Mark, was pointing a gun at him. He thought if he didn't stop him, he was surely going to die. So he reached out to grab the gun and it was plastic. So a movie prop. (laughs) Punches were thrown by both men. Jill ended up back on the ground and he tucked and rolled underneath of the garage because it was propped open, remember? So he kind of rolled back out into the alleyway. Mark followed him out there and grabbed his legs. And at this point, a couple named Marissa and Trevor, they came around the corner. They were walking their dog in the alley. And Jill yelled out for help. And Mark, who was still wearing a mask, calmly explained that they were friends and he was just overreacting. But then he just turned and walked away all nonchalant. And I'm like, if I was out walking my dog and I saw two men, you know, like scrabbling or whatever you want to word it, and one of them is wearing a mask and the other one's asking for help, I don't think I would just think that was, you know, two friends playing around, right?
1: But you wouldn't do anything about it.
0: I don't know. See, that's the thing. They didn't know what to do either. <laughs> so they go back to their house and called 911 or 999 yes. for you. I don't honestly know if in Canada it's 911.
1: That would be the normal thing to do. Just not Right.
0: So they didn't want, I, this is what, 2008. Maybe they didn't have a cell phone. So they went back to their house and called emergency services. So, <laughs> but the whole 999 thing, I feel like that would be really, um, Easy to accidentally dial. Has your daughter dialed nine 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 yet? No. Really, Penn's called nine one one twice.
1: How's that? No. Way. Yeah,
0: I I think it's like when my cell phone is locked and he presses a bunch of buttons, it literally just starts calling nine. He's done it twice. I don't know why, and he brings it to me and he's like, ah, ah, and he's handed it to me, and then I have to stay on. The, I've learned if it ever happens to you, by the way, stay on the line. And tell them it was an accident because if you hang up, they're going to call you back and then they get mad at you. <laughs> uh, okay. So I've learned that just stay on the line. and be like, oops, it was my kid. I think and they'll be
1: most phones, especially iPhones. If they're locked, you can dial emergency numbers.
0: Yeah. I do think do you have,
1: just- um, do you have a non-emergency number out of interest?
0: I think that we do. Cause I know my boss's daughter just called the non-emergency number because her son was, his oxygen levels were low and it wasn't like he was like dying and needing services, but they wanted an ambulance. So they called the non-emergency number. I don't know what it is. I'd Google it if I needed it, I guess.
1: And <laughs> yeah, we have one Oh one is ours.
0: Oh, so I assumed it was like a normal telephone number.
1: Just one Oh one.
0: Maybe so I what you, do is you, you know go through,
1: that. you go through to an operator and she says, I think it puts you through to your local operator and they say what force mm-hmm. are you looking for? And you we would say West Yorkshire Police.
0: Oh, see, I would just probably call the police station.
1: Well, I think they take details from yeah, you know, I don't have police station's numbers readily available.
0: I know, but
1: so you ring 101, you tell them I think what you do, you tell them what the crack is, what the situation is, <laughs> and they um they take the details down and I think they get an officer to ring you like later on. Mm-hmm. And then they, ring I you did. Back. I
0: called about that bone. I found remember mm-hmm. I did. I called the police station, Googled found a, it, found the God. police station number. I, found a bone. Well, I just, I just wanted to report it just in case they confirmed. It was like an elk or something. Anyway. So they call the police. Police come, but by the time Trevor walks him down to where he saw the altercation, both men are gone. So Jill was actually able to escape. And for whatever reason, perhaps embarrassment of being catfished, he did not report the attack to the police. So he escapes, goes home, tries his best to forget about what happened.
1: I think that's understandable.
0: <clears throat> yeah. But Um, The event was left at that. The police never found the victim or the man in the hockey mask. One week later, Mark tried his luck on plenty of fish one more time. This time he pretended to be a woman named Jen and he hooked 38-year-old Johnny Altinger. Johnny worked in quality control at an oil-filled equipment manufacturer near Edmonton. And he spent a lot of time online and he used the screen name Ultra Magnus. Strong. And I hate to say anything negative about someone who has an ending to their life, like Johnny, but ultra Magnus. It just sounds like he's trying to say, I'm a guy with a big penis, Strong
1: name, Strong <laughs>
0: right? But <name. laughs> uh, he was a single guy. And I mean, that is why normal people join plenty of fish. He lived alone. He had two motorcycles. They were his prized possessions. William, who was a co-worker of Johnny's, he was using the same dating sites and they communicated with each other regularly in person and via email. In other words, they were pretty close friends and they did tend to share details about their dates. Johnny told William that he met a woman on Plenty of Fish and he was going to meet up with her Friday, October 10th, the evening of. Jen wrote to Johnny saying, quote, If we really gel, you said you have four days off. How long can I keep you if I choose? Maybe we should pack for a few days. And for me, that's a red flag. First dates don't last four days, but I don't know. This is before Tinder. Tinder wasn't created until 2012. So maybe it's not as creepy sounding as I think. I don't know. But (laughs) a hookup is a hookup. Four days of that is kind of crazy, right? Is that not weird?
1: optimism in it
0: eh, oh. if we gel but johnny had plans it's like a
1: suitcase, just in case
0: <laughs> just in case uh johnny had plans that sunday to ride his motorcycle with a friend named dale who just got a motorcycle so he wasn't planning on the date lasting all weekend and just like mark did with jill He gave Johnny weird roundabout directions to the garage suite versus an actual physical address. And he told Dale about his hot date with Jen, but he shared concerns about the weird directions. Dale also found it strange and asked Johnny to just call and check in with them when he got there. So that night, Johnny drove over the river. (laughs) Johnny drove over the river and through the woods. That's what I wrote. Ending at the cracked open garage describing by Jen. Jen wasn't there. Instead, Johnny was greeted by a man who was filming a movie. They carried on a friendly chat, but he decided to leave since Jen wasn't there. And this part's really confusing to me. Maybe Mark wanted to meet him in person and decide if he was able to overpower Johnny successfully before he said, hey, never mind, I'm Jen, come on back. (laughs) But this wasn't concerning to Johnny, I guess. I don't know who he thought this man was or why he was filming a movie in Jen's garage, But later that evening, Jen contacted Johnny again through plenty of fish. She didn't give him her phone number and he she apologized for not being home when he arrived, but she was back home now and it's safe for him to come back. So Johnny sent one final follow up message to his friend Dale explaining the situation that he was headed back to Jen's. But that's the last he heard from Johnny. Anyone heard from Johnny. Uh, He stood up Dale that Sunday for their plans to ride their motorcycles. And that's when Dale really started to worry. That was the last, again, any of them heard. Apparently, I wrote that (laughs) twice. (laughs) Pause for a drink. I don't know why. I read through this like four times, too. I don't know how I didn't catch up.
1: I don't read through mine ever. I I just write it. I know,
0: but I read through because then I'm like, why did I write that and fix it? So apparently I need to. (laughs) Okay. So after that, Dale really started to worry and he contacted Johnny's coworkers. They all decided to conduct their own wellness check, but there was no answer at Johnny's apartment. His two motorcycles were there, but his red Mazda three was not concerns for Johnny's safety grew and his friends went to the police. Of course, they did not take this missing person report seriously. He's a 38 year old man. He hasn't touched base with friends in two days. So eh. I mean, I know that doesn't sound too odd, but I also wish that police would just trust when people say that this is completely out of character instead of waiting for time to pass because I get it. Yeah, he's a grown adult man. It's only been what two days. He could be out doing whatever he wants. He doesn't need to check in with anybody. But if all these people are saying like he always does, and he's not, this is weird. I just feel like police should take that into account. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: You should. Yeah. It shouldn't just be oh, we've got to wait till till so much time's passed. But then again, you on the other side, you got to think: what if people are just overreacting?
0: Yeah i guess but that so the date was friday it wasn't until monday that anyone did hear from him apparently he sent out emails Mm -hmm. so william (laughs) received an email that was titled it's all good (laughs) and it read something along these lines hey man jen and i hit it off big time she has a lot of money and offered to take me to costa rica with her for three months Nothing about this email sat well with William. First of all, Hey Man was never a greeting that he would have used. And running off with someone he just met for three months is not something Johnny would do. Dale and Johnny's brother received similar emails. And when William spoke to his boss, who was also Johnny's boss, he told William that Johnny emailed him a letter of resignation but not because he was going to Costa Rica. He's, he emailed saying that he had another job offer that he just couldn't pass up. So there's conflicting stories here. Kind of a red flag. Johnny must have been pretty popular. He's got lots of friends. Another friend, Marcelo, also filed a missing person report to the police. And an officer said they would come by to his house to take a statement, but they never did. You would think multiple calls about Johnny police would move forward with an investigation, but they couldn't be bothered with it. Do you have an, uh, if I go missing folder? No. I mean, I have like all the things they are just not together, but I mean, do you have the like, find my iPhone? Do you have an iPhone?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. So like, I don't know if I could your loved one find you if you were missing. Nah. Just think about that, right? That's mm, Okay. So you need to have your Find My iPhone turned on. You're supposed to have all your passwords for everything documented and stored somewhere. I have my fingerprints in the system because I'm a dental hygienist and I don't know why, but they need to be. So if, you know, my prints were found somewhere, I think they could link it to me, but in dental records, obviously I have those, but those are the things that are supposed to be in your, if I go missing folder and that way, if you are missing or your body is found, you could be identified. <laughs> so it's just kind of something going around that you, you should do.
1: Yeah. I've heard of it. It's quite an American thing that I got approached by company i don't know if it was called if i go missing.com or something and they said oh we, they, they add digital if i go missing folders so you would upload everything to this file encrypted and then if you did go missing your family could access this file i was going to do some affiliated work for them but i just never got around to it
0: yeah we don't I really mean, do
1: we don't really do that here because it's quite a, it's quite a small just disappear well, no, it's quite a small country, isn't it? Really, it's like yeah. if, if if we aren't missing, I don't know. It's just not something. It seems quite. It seems a bit faddish. Yeah, it seems very. American. I mean, it's
0: it's not anything you ever hope to be needed. I guess it's a just in case kind of thing. And it, it seems I guess like you'd, it's you'd have my...
1: you'd have parties over there, like dinner parties, like. So what's in your, if you go missing file? Well, in mine, I have um, my dental records. I have my passport and um I have the last 10 places I visited. <laughs> so, yeah, Jonathan? it is. You're so, supposed uh, to have uh, like
0: frequented places, like yeah. your local pub or whatever. Yeah, but yeah, you just, you just anyways, you. you just know. Okay. Listeners, there is such a thing. Don't listen to Stu. You can do it. Be safe
1: and smart. I'm all for it, but it's, it won't kick off here. I don't think we're not nah. kind of, we're not that way inclined.
0: Mm. Comment below if you have <laughs> one.
1: <laughs> if you're British and you have an if I go missing folder, then let me know. Yeah,
0: prove I them wrong. Hear
1: from you. Yeah.
0: But Johnny's friends—they weren't going to just sit back and wait for the police to get their act together. They actually went to Johnny's apartment and broke in to investigate. And speaking of passports, it was sitting right there. It was and if he's going to Costa Rica, he needs his passport. Connie kind of need needs it. his passport. <laughs> so finally, after nine days, police decided it was time to start looking for Johnny. But luckily, Johnny after had nine
1: days. The,
0: nine days. Yes. Jesus. I know. Okay, no. Yeah. Did not take us seriously. I guess because he followed up and told everyone where he's going, it's, you know, he's an adult. (laughs) Yeah. But luckily, Johnny had forwarded the like weird set of directions to his friend Dale to, you know, he was the one checking in with him as he was going. So police approached the garage suite and they found that it was currently being rented by a man named Mark Twitchell, who was using the space to film a movie. And when the police contacted Mark, he stated that the last time he was in the garage was nine days earlier. <laughs> Suspiciously, the same day that Johnny was meeting up with Jen.
1: As if he said that?
0: <laughs> he says a lot of stupid things. <laughs> you'd think you'd be like, I haven't been there for like a month or, you know, yes. then whatever. way, <sighs> The exact day but police asked mark to come and meet them there so that they could search the garage and right off the bat he's like what this padlock this isn't my padlock like someone else has been here they changed the lock that's not the lock i've been using and he was so insinuating someone else had been there and and changed put a whole different padlock on there They must have cut it open, and when they entered, Mark seemed surprised by the state of the suite. First of all, the lights were on, and he pointed to a large steel drum. He said that he was just using that as a garbage can, but it looked like someone had been using it as a fire pit. Something had been burned inside, and he had no explanation for why. He was taken to the police station and was formally interviewed, and he told them that he was there the day of October 10th, but he was just cleaning up and he was gone by 530. He explained that he was shooting a short suspense thriller and had rented the space specifically for filming. You might have more insight on this than I do, Stu, but he said his budget for the film, like he just rambled on and on. He was like bragging about all this stuff. He said his budget for this film he was doing was $3 million. So for an amateur filmmaker, I feel like that's a lot, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Who's funding yeah.
0: that? Yeah. So he said he had investors, including his brother-in-law and a random accountant that he found online. But I mean, that's that's a lot of money. So, but he had planned to use this film to enter it into film festivals and help boost his career, you know, because the only other thing, the Star Wars thing was not even not doing anything. You can listen to the taped interviews of him at the police station, but he sounds very cool and collected. He's bragging about his Star Wars fan film and the investigators acted interested just to keep him talking, but they eventually just cut to the chase. He confirmed with Mark that he was renting the suite and technically should be the only person having access to it. Then he asked one more time, when was the last time he was there? And Mark, he like, him hawed. Do you know what, is? Hmm, what is hmm. yeah. him is? Him hmm, hawed around. And he said, and he's like I, I have troubles remembering things. Like I rely on lists to make um, like a list to execute tasks. <laughs> otherwise you can't remember
1: we call it omen and Aaron.
0: omen and Aaron. we yeah. say him mm. hot you,
1: know, you, you talk, you'd go mm. you go, go hmm uh, mm, uh, yeah omen and Aaron. yeah
0: exactly but i mean i make lists too like if i don't write down a grocery list and i Nerd go to alert. the store like <laughs> i'm screwed but you you can memorize in your brain everything that you need at the grocery store i
1: can't memorize shit
0: Right. So if I, I don't know, but. So
1: you take a shopping list at Shopping Store. How, how
0: yeah, but that's different. And thinking about where to you, where you were the past week, I feel like that's a little different than the making a list of tasks to execute. Right. Think, and I he didn't I even struggle, he, <laughs> but he didn't live close. Like this was Edmonton and he lived in, I think South Edmonton or so. It's a quite a drive to this garage. Again, his wife just didn't even know about it. So he like went there on his own. I think you would remember driving there because it's quite a drive. So when the investigator finally brought up that Johnny Altinger was the man that they were looking for, that he was missing, Mark denied knowing him. He's not an actor in his film or the production crew. Supposedly, <laughs> never heard of him.
1: Crew. What <laughs> crew, crew? Right. What
0: I mean, crew? it's a $3 million production, too.
1: Mm, He's got a big crew. <laughs> Him in a garage (laughs) that he's rented out. Well, Mm, police found
0: it strange that this Jen character gave directions to the garage that he was renting. And that Johnny showed up at the time he was supposed to meet Jen instead and greeted by a man in the garage. Because, you know, he did follow up with his friend Dale and say, hey, Jen wasn't there, but this guy was. So, like, Dale kind of sort of knows part of the story. And maybe Mark wasn't... um, You know, he didn't have that in the mindset. He didn't know that Johnny had shared this information with someone else. Mm. But you should hear Mark. He's playing dumb because um, the investigators like he was greeted by a man in the garage. And he's like in the garage. okay?" (laughs) like he's trying (laughs) to process this information like who on earth could that be in my garage? (laughs) It's just so weird. And and the police. They take his word because he just sounds so cool and collected like they think he's being truthful Mm. at the end of this, which um,
1: is a qualified actor.
0: I guess. (laughs) I guess a few days after the interview, Mark sent an email to the officer stating a few things that he forgot to mention, you know, because his brain had trouble remembering. Obviously, (laughs) Mark said that his car was broken into while parked at the mall. And the only thing he noticed missing was a receipt. And this receipt apparently had his address on it, his home address. A few days later, the door to... I don't know what receipt has your home address on it, by the way. I mean, I've never seen a, a, a receipt print out with my home address on it, but...
1: How would a shop have your address?
0: I, that Yeah, I don't know. But a few days later, the door to his home was unlocked and he always locked his door. After this... While at a gas station, a man walked over to his car and knocked on the window. He rolled down his window, and this man says he's moving to the Caribbean with his new quote, sugar mama, and needed to sell his car cheap and fast. And just listen to this (laughs) Mark says he bought this car, which is a red Mazda 3, by the way. He says he bought this car with the cash that he had in his pocket $40. (laughs) It was Johnny's car. Johnny altering his car. When you've
1: got 3 million, then 40 is nothing. <laughs> right.
0: 40 dollars is nothing. But I don't understand why he came forward with this information. It seems damning. Like he claims whoever stole this receipt from his car, stole all his personal information. And he's the person ba- responsible for all of this, you know, luring Johnny in. And it just it doesn't make it's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. And if the police don't see you through this bullshit at this point, then shame on them. Because, right? <laughs> yeah. I need you to confirm.
1: <laughs> I mean, did they see through the bullshit? That's the question.
0: Uh, yeah, we'll get there. I mean, I think they, they come along because Marissa and Trevor, remember them? That's the couple that witnessed Jill being mm-hmm. attacked. Well, when they heard about Johnny Altinger being a missing person that was in that area, they kind of assumed that's who they saw that day. And they followed up with police, even though you think police should be the one following up with them. Like, mm-hmm. if they had a something called in in that area, someone being attacked, you'd think that they would follow up. But
1: but it wasn't and him. It was it was Gilles,
0: right? Gilles. Totally different person. So once the timeline was laid out as to when things happened, they realized that this was a separate incident. Two different people. And using media outlets, the police asked for anyone with information about the first attack or Johnny Altinger to come forward. And it did take Jill about a month to work up the courage to speak to police. But he explained that the man, if he wanted to kill him, He could have done so right away. Like he tucked under the garage and he was hit on the head, but instead he just, you know, got him with a stun gun instead of stabbing, shooting, whatever you would do to kill him. He felt like there was a bigger plan. Like he was going to take him somewhere else for it to continue. Think Dexter, think kill room. Like a
1: snuff mover.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Something like that. But Mark Twitchell was brought back in for questioning. The investigator got right down to business this time. He was like, I know you're involved. This isn't going to go in way. So you might as well speak up. And a neighbor came forward as an eyewitness to Mark changing the padlock on the door. So we know it was him. No one else changed the padlock. It was Mark. Someone saw him doing it. Mm-hmm. He said that was ridiculous and he wasn't talking anymore. So boom, I don't know if it's like, I'm getting a lawyer, I'm not talking, but he did kind of keep talking. He says, you need to tell the truth. You don't want to live with this for the rest of your life. And Mark's response was, you'd be surprised at what I can live with, which is the quote that I gave you. Very, yeah. Unfortunately, all they had was circumstantial evidence and they couldn't make an arrest without a confession. Police issued a warrant to search Mark's car and home. And now to the plot of this suspense thriller that he was filming in in the garage. Are you ready for this?
1: I'm excited to hear about it.
0: So excited. Okay. It's about a killer who used dating sites to track down married men who were looking for mistresses. And he would lure them to the garage. plotless. Dum, dum, dum. The killer was actually a filmmaker who <laughs> was doing research for thriller films by murdering people when police searched his home and vehicle. I know you love how I say vehicle
1: vehicle.
0: So how do you say it again? I really don't even understand the difference.
1: Vehicle. You say okay. vehicle.
0: So so vehicle. it's not the V. It's, it's the hickle. It's the hickle. vehicle, vehicle, vehicle.
1: Nope.
0: It's I kind of make it like vehicle, and you yep. just do it all. Okay, yep.
1: vehicle, just car.
0: <laughs> vehicle, vehicle. They searched this vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> They found many incriminating receipts. First off, the hockey mask that Jill reporting seeing his attacker wearing. And another was the steel drum that police found used as a fire pit in the garage. Overalls, duct tape, a drop cloth from Home Depot. Basically a Dexter Morgan kill room setup, right? Mm-hmm. Online purchases included a stun gun, handcuffs, and a meat cleaver. And in his car was a book about Dexter and multiple DVDs of the Showtime series that were found in his basement on Mark's laptop was a deleted document titled SK confessions SK. When police questioned Mark about this, he said it stood for his favorite author, Stephen King, but police not, believed not that killer. it police believed it stood for serial killer, mainly because the very first line written in this document was quote, this is the story of my progression into becoming a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, it's basically a diary. And he writes about his first failed attempt with Shill. He didn't name him, but he described it. And it was essentially a written confession to what happened on the night of October 10th, 2008. When Johnny came back to the garage, Mark hit him over the head with a pipe, then using a knife, he stabbed him in the neck and abdomen. Then he went into disturbing details of how he dismembered Johnny's body. He parked the red Mazda 3 into the garage and left. He later broke into Johnny's apartment. With his laptop, he was able to access his email account and send the messages to his friends and coworkers. He came back to the garage at a later date and attempted to burn his body inside of the steel drum. Side note: If this were true, don't you think police would have found this out by forensic evidence by now? I think like so. if, yeah. It's that's crazy what,
1: how many people think you can burn a body in an incinerator like that. It's just not hot enough.
0: Yeah, like it's not like it's a crematorium; it's a exactly. fire. Yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> but a quote from the SK confessions: Most people fantasize; it only ever stays a fantasy. They don't have the disposition or the stomach to go all the way with their dark urges. But I do. I do not have any. (laughs) Yeah, like a dark passenger. (laughs) Oh, my God. I do not have any reservation about disposing of the negative people in this world who deserve a one way ticket to the afterlife. If such a thing exists which apparently this is why he's named the Dexter killer. I mean, it's really not that similar Mm. to me, but because he read the book and watched the show and he was obsessed with it. And in his twisted mind, he was taking out the trash, but Jill and Johnny were not bad people. Not that killing anyone is okay, but Dexter was somewhat of a vigilante. He cleaned up what police couldn't in other words, or sometimes he beat them to the punch. I don't know, but.
1: Did he sign off (laughs) R.I.H.?
0: No, go back to last week, my episode for RIH. It's a rotten hell instead of rest in peace.
1: It's a running joke,
0: (laughs) but this is not, it's not the same. It's not the same as what Dexter does at all. Even if he thinks he's being a vigilante of some sort, but Edmonton police had the evidence they needed to arrest Mark and an officer posed as an investor Because that's the way to get in with Mark, right? To help him with his upcoming film. They met on October 31st, Halloween, 2008, at a coffee shop. To Mark's surprise, he was tackled to the ground and put in cuffs. He was under arrest for the murder of Johnny Altinger. Mark kept silent and refused to speak to police. After 18 months, Mark and his lawyer finally set a meeting to talk with an investigator. And talk might not be the right word. All he did was hand them a piece of paper. On that paper was a Google Google map image with directions on where to find Johnny Altinger's body. Police followed the instructions and found Johnny's remains in a storm drain. During the trial against Mark Twitchell, his now ex-wife, Jess, and attempted murder victim, Jill, testified against him. And Jess didn't have kind things to say. He lied, he cheated, and he lived in a cinematic fantasy world. Another person to testify was a friend of the internet, a woman named Renee. She knew Mark as the scream name Dexter Morgan. So original. (laughs) Renee was recently divorced and angry at the fact her ex had moved on with a new woman. She hated her and shared with Mark her dark fantasy of killing her. Mark took things to a new level by telling her exactly how to execute it. Make a kill room, just like Dexter, covered in plastic for easy cleanup. Renee was all bark and no bite, but Mark was serious. After this encounter with Johnny Altinger, he all but confessed to Renee. He didn't give details, but he said... I crossed the line on Friday, and I liked it. So she testified against him, saying that she believed he was capable of murder. Physical evidence of Johnny's murder was just about everywhere. Items with his blood were found in the garage, in Mark's car, his home, and on his person. His belt that he was still wearing when he was arrested was actually had traces of Johnny's blood on it. And Mark was put on the stand at trial. He admitted to posing as both Sheena and Jen online and that he did lure both the men to the garage, but he wanted to film the events and have the audience wonder if it was real. <laughs> According to Mark, when Johnny discovered that he was catfished, he was furious and reacted, hitting Mark with the pipe <laughs> and that Mark only killed him in self-defense, which is obviously a load of shit. I mean, this was all planned, so... The jury deliberated for just five hours, coming back with a guilty verdict of first degree murder, sentenced to 25 years to life without the eligibility for parole. Michael C. Hall, who plays the character Dexter, as well as the writer producer of the series, made a public statement that they did not approve of Mark Twitchell's actions, as if that is necessary. Dexter That's is a the TV show. That.
1: That's right
0: fictional, but they felt the need to tell people that watching the show will not make you a serial killer. I guess it's the same people that think if you play a video game that has guns that you're going to become a mass murderer. No. <sighs>
1: yeah.
0: Well, Jill, the first intended victim of Mark Twitchell, he actually wrote a book about his experience and it's titled The One Who Got Away, Escape from the Kill Room. Might want to look into it. There's only like two reviews on Amazon, so I don't know how popular it is, but might be worth reading his experiences. But Mark is currently serving his sentence at the Saskatchewan Penitentiary in Prince Albert.
1: Hmm.
0: And as he and right now in prison, he has a dating profile for prison inmates to find love.
1: So he's staying somewhere called Prince Albert.
0: Yeah, I was waiting for you to comment on the Prince Albert thing.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: Yeah. Apparently, Ooh. it's a place, not just penis piercing.
1: <laughs> wow. What a strange that's guy. That's what I got. What a
0: strange Yeah, guy. and the picture that you chose, you showed me the artwork. He's so creepy looking, right? Yeah,
1: almost, it, like you could tell that he thinks he's some kind of like actor. Oh
0: oh he thinks important. he's super cool yeah. and the thing is that uh, someone who was at the star wars film they came forward and they said like how unprepared he was like he was gonna play han solo and he was super excited and he came and the, he had to help him set up break down like all but write the thing like it was not a real production whatsoever it's, yeah you know but that's what i've got for mark Twitchell cool. the dexter copycat
1: yeah, yeah, kinda.
0: Yeah, I know. But that's what he's labeled. That's what yeah. he's labeled. I don't yeah. think so much either, to be completely honest. But
1: have you ever read any of the Dexter books?
0: No, have not read the books.
1: I have. I've read a couple. And the first one's called Darkly Dreaming Dexter. By interesting. You know how he's called Jim Lindsay in this?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: the, the author's called Jeff Lindsay. Really? Mm, I think that's why he's called Lindsay,
0: Lindsay. with an AY.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm yeah
0: so uh, is yeah, it similar does it follow
1: what the, the books I the the
0: series follow the books
1: i can't remember
0: the books came first i assume fact, they usually do
1: yeah the books came in fact no they don't because i remember reading it thinking i don't just want to read the or the book version of the series and it wasn't the first right. I think the first one was darkly dreaming dexter the second one was daily devoted dexter i think completely different stories which is pretty cool.
0: But I assume he's still a murderer. Oh, still,
1: yeah same character. Yeah.
0: Man. Same character.
1: Yeah. Gotcha. Same character.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's kinda I were you a True Blood fan? No. Oh, well. Anyways, the books are Sookie Stackhouse, who is the character in True Blood, and they're kind of different too. I read all this, but maybe I'll have to look into Dexter.
1: It's decent, decent enough.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But yeah, that was cool. So thanks for coming on again and telling us another north american story here's your chance to plug where everyone can find your show
0: yeah i'm trying to be more present on twitter so at killer stories pc on twitter instagram tiktok which i've been slacking at and facebook at killer stories podcast you can email me if you like to say hi talk to me at killer stories podcast at gmail.com cool
1: That's about it. cool so yeah as far as my content goes this is the final off-season episode so we had my interview with christy sumner who was the paranormal investigator and then last week we am talking because we we record this so early i'm talking future but then past Mm -hmm. but when you're listening to this last week i had scary movie review with lorraine
0: Oh, so you're, you're reposting.
1: I just got lazy and re-uploaded that oh, No,
0: I really enjoyed that. It made me laugh. You guys had me laughing so hard.
1: <laughs> but I did the did the video as well. So I did the video Yeah. For so oh, that was, well, that was... that's
0: what I'm, I'm going to re-watch it. Video. Yeah. So that I was
1: an absolute ball. Like I'm still editing that. And then next week is the start of season 5
0: Woohoo!
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh.
0: So I kind many. of envy your decision to do the seasons and break it up a little bit. But you it's not like you take a break. You're still doing stuff
1: in yeah. between. Well, that's it. So. It's still content. I don't take breaks. But then I normally do a mid-season break as well because I get quite lazy.
0: Hmm. Yeah. We all need a break. Yeah. You guys don't realize it's a lot of work.
1: I know. Uh, yeah. Oh, why have you got so many adverts on? Oh, because it fucking takes half the week. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. why. Anyway, so next week, start of season five. That is going to be the Babes in the Wood murder committed by Russell Bishop. Currently reading a book about it at the minute. It's very interesting. And all of season five, all of season six, and half of season seven is full of listener suggestions.
0: Mm. So if, if
1: if people do want to reach out and give us a suggestion, British Murders Podcast at gmail.com. Or if you've got an American one killer stories podcast at gmail.com
0: hey. speaking of suggestions next week I think uh, Lorraine is the one that suggested mine you know the
1: so Carla H-
0: Homoka, Homoka, can't even say it and Paul Bernardo the Ken and Barbie murders
1: so suggested. Ken and Barbie didn't I, su- so I still stuck on one? that I suggested one didn't I am I on your list
0: maybe De- I didn't I- write I it down maybe it was like a okay, I still <laughs>
1: <laughs> rude, isn't it?
0: i don't know i don't think i have you on my list so
1: have you done hh arms yet
0: yes it oh, was yeah. episode eight
1: fucking hell long time yeah. ago yeah someone asked me recently to do that on an email it's like i want to do british curses
0: oh uh, well maybe on your uh tiktok
1: i think i've already done him on there
0: oh well
1: oh. i'm doing british ones at the minute on there too
0: yeah, I just, I don't think he's, it's so hard when they're that old. It's like not properly documented information yeah. and it can be can't somewhat fabricated. But, yeah. You know, cool story.
1: <laughs> cool. <laughs> <laughs> cool, story. cool story, bruh. Right. Well, yeah. let's uh, let's leave it there. And I'll, as you did allow me to sign out on your show, why don't you sign us out this week?
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Until next time, this has been a killer story. British murder. (laughs) A killer British murder story.
1: I was trying to get in the gap, but I couldn't. (laughs) Never mind. Yeah, thanks all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Cheerio.
0: Cheerio. (laughs)